0: Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this grey, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny-tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. 1. I don't want to be a jerk, even accidentally. 2. I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up, but 3, and this is key, I think acknowledging your mess up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music. Which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean... I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now, so why should your present-day ears be punished because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button? Anyway, without further ado, here is the podcast you came here for, just slightly better. Thanks for listening.
1: It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast, Jennifer and Kelly will identify, yeah, it's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast, Jennifer and Kelly are gonna talk, so you'd better damn well listen.
0: Hello and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn podcast, the podcast where we, Jennifer, and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based
1: on books as well as the original source material. Today we will be discussing the 2005 movie, (laughs) Their Eyes Were Watching God, based on the novel by the same name, published in 1937 by Zora Neale Hurston.
0: But first we're going to tell you all the ways you can connect with us on the internet. As you know, we have a webpage where you can find sources, references, and updates about the show. You can also connect with us via our Facebook page or our Twitter, both searchable by typing Pages and Popcorn Podcast into your search bar. And of course, you can email us directly at pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. We also want to thank all of our patrons for their continued support and remind you that our Patreon page is www.patreon.com pagesandpopcornpodcast. For just $1 a month, you can help support us and this podcast. Of course, you can also support us for $5 a month, but the $1 a month is a great place to start, and it gets you perks like a list of all of our upcoming, or the next several upcoming titles, so that you can read ahead of the class, which is pretty cool, and you also know exactly what to read and when to read it to be prepared to listen along with our podcast. So there's also going to be some supplemental episodes and some other cool stuff. Please go to patreon.com slash pagesandpopcornpodcast and support us for a dollar a month. It makes a big difference.
1: And we want to really encourage you to rate and review us on whatever platform you listen to, especially on iTunes, because that will help other people find us. Now, on with the show. On with the show. So I'm going to start off
0: by doing the recap of the novel and then I will touch on the differences in the movie. The movie did have a lot of the same novel plot points, so I will talk about the differences as part of my recap, but first the novel. The main character is Janie Crawford, an African-American woman in her early 40s. She's telling the story of her life to her best friend Phoebe through an extended flashback. So readers receive the story of her life in three major periods, corresponding with her marriages to three very different men. The novel opens with Janie returning to the town of Eatonville. She has to walk past all the people sitting on their porches, and there's a fair amount of judgment that's happening. And we get a little bit of the story. She obviously left town. They all were like, oh, she'll be back because that guy probably stole all her money and there's all this gossiping stuff happening and then one of her friends goes over to her house and Janie actually says, okay, I'm going to tell you my whole story and then you can tell them if you want because that's fine. And so she starts off by talking about her childhood. You can kind of call it Janie's sexual awakening. She compares, uh, she is compared to a blossoming pear tree which is kissed by the bees in spring and basically what's happening is that she she talks about how she was raised by her grandma in this house That was on the property of a white family, and her nana, who had been raised in slave times, it was very particular about how Janie was going to be raised. So Nanny is Janie's grandmother, an elderly woman who was a slave. She was raped by her white owner, and she gave birth to a mixed-raised daughter named Leafy. Nanny escaped from her jealous mistress and found a good home at the end of the American Civil War. Okay, Then Nanny tried to create a good life for her daughter, but Leafy was raped by her school teacher and became pregnant with Janie. Shortly after Janie's birth, Leafy began to drink and stay out all night, and eventually she ran away, so leaving her daughter Janie to be raised by Nanny. So that is the backdrop of Janie's life. So she's being raised with her nanny on this white people's home and she plays with the children and she doesn't even consider herself different from the other children until there's actually a photo that's taken and she realizes that she's black. Anyway, we fast forward. Now Janie's a 16 year old girl. She's having the sexual awakening. She's watching the bees and the flowers and she's like, oh, filled with thoughts and feelings. And uh, she lets a neighbor boy kiss her over the fence post It's a innocent enough kiss, but Nanny sees it and freaks out and thinks that Janie's been prostituting herself and is running amok over town and is going to be just like her mother. So Nanny quickly arranges a marriage between Janie and a rich man in town who has 60 acres. And I'm going to call him Logan, and his last name is Killix. But I call him Logan. So he's an older farmer. He's looking for a wife. He's got the 60 acres. Nanny believes that this will give Janie stability and it'll be safe and it's good. So off she goes. She has to get married no matter what. Janie's image of the pear tree causes her to imagine that marriage will involve love. However... Um, Logan really just wants a domestic harper rather than a lover or a partner. And he does not think that Janie does enough around the farm. He thinks that she's ungrateful. Janie tries to talk to Nanny about how she feels, but Nanny accuses her of being spoiled. And she kind of gets the lesson that marriage isn't about love. Marriage is about what you do. Also worth noting here is that Nanny explains to Janie that a black woman is the mule of the world. So she's set. She's got Janie off and married that tick that box done and then nanny dies so unhappy disillusioned lonely janie eventually decides to leave logan and she runs off with a man that she meets along the um, along the road he is walking by and he sees her peeling potatoes or cutting potatoes and he starts to flirt with her he's a flashy guy he's got money from up north he's on his way places and he basically just sweeps janie right off of her feet and she's enamored with not only him but all that he represents and he promises to make it right by her and they run away together and they're married that very same night they this is Jody or Joe he's called both things in the book and his last name is Stark so she becomes Mrs. Starks he takes her to Eatonville Florida they find the small town the residents are unambitious, unambitious. so Starks arranges to buy more land from a colonel um, he establishes a general store he has built by the town and he soon elected mayor of the town. So Janie realizes that Starks want her to be, wants her to be a trophy wife and reinforce his power position in the town. He asks her to run the store, but he forbids her from participating in the substantial social life that occurs at the store's front porch. He treats her as his property. He's controlling about what she wears. For instance, he makes her tie up her beautiful long hair in a head rag, like an old lady. He criticizes her mistakes in front of other people. Um, he also begins to strike her occasionally, and as time passes, he teases her more and more in public about being old, about being ugly, even though she's not neither of those things. And when she finally talks back to him and kind of mocks his manhood, he loses his cool and he hits her, and it's very traumatic and awful, and blah. Anyways, eventually Joe gets really sick. And he doesn't want Janie in his bedchamber at all while he's suffering and dying. But she comes in there at the end and kind of speaks her truth to him. And is like, hey, look, you know, you used me to... to promote yourself as this great guy. And you put me up on this pedestal, but you didn't really know me. And I didn't really want any of this. I just wanted to be loved. And he can't really see past his own stuff. So he dies. And now Janie is independently wealthy. And she's established in this town. And she's got a large matter of freedom, which she's never had before. A lot of suitors show up, they really want Janie, they want her money, they want the status of you know the mayor's wife and all of that stuff. Eventually, she meets a young drifter and gambler who's named Virgil Woods, but he goes by the much easier to pronounce name of Tea Cake. Tea Cake plays the guitar for her, and he treats her with kindness and respect. He treats her more like an equal. He teaches her how to play checkers. And even though she's older and has wealth, he is just normal to her and treats her like a regular person. And so, of course, she eventually falls in love with him. She's a little bit worried about the age thing, but he assures her through some very sweet lines that these are not just his night words and his night thoughts, but he wants to date her during the day and take her to picnics. And he teaches her how to shoot guns and he teaches her how to fish better. And they're just, they're, they're so in love and it's all happiness and excitement. And, um, basically eventually he says, we are going to run away together. We're going to go live in, um, the Everglades or the Mook, as he calls it. And they get married. They move to Belgrade, Florida, which is a northern part of the Everglades. And they find work planting and harvesting beans. Their relationships does have its up and downs. There's mutual bouts of jealousy. Um, there's even an episode in which Tea Cake whips Janie to assert his dominance and show off to all the other people that he can whoop her and that he's in charge of her and stuff. And she submits to that. She sees it as part of their marriage, a marriage that's love. She's always wanted. Her image of the pear tree blossom is finally realized, and there's a lot of love. It's very passionate in all the ways imaginable. Okay, eventually there is a very large hurricane that attacks the attacks hurricanes don't attack they kind (laughs) of do actually okay a very large hurricane comes ashore and the whole lake floods in and it's this huge thing in the chaos of surviving uh tea cake is bit by a rabbit dog because he's saving Janie from drowning um this dog is up on this thing and Janie's trying to climb up and the dog's like and then tea cake comes out of the water and he stabs the dog and then the dog bites him and it's this very dramatic thing and and tea cake won't let anything bad happen to Janie he's so much in love with her They survive the great, great hurricane, but everything's flattened and there's tons of dead bodies. It turns out that T.K. has contracted rabies. So now he becomes increasingly jealous and unpredictable. And eventually uh, she finds a gun in their bed and she realizes that he might lose his brain completely. So she takes the first three bullets out of the gun. And then, of course, T.K. does get all... Weirdly jealous and possessive and crazy pants. And he does attempt to kill her. He shoots her three times with the gun that doesn't have bullets. And then as he raises the gun to shoot the last time, she is forced to shoot him with a rifle. She is tried in a court of law, but found innocent of this uh, murder, self-defense. And uh, then basically she packs up her stuff and goes back to the town where she started from. Because there's nothing there for her left in the Everglades. Uh, tea cake is gone, love is gone, she's very depressed, but she's kind of found herself. We're not sure what the future's going to hold for Janie, but she has a very clear sense of self by the end of the novel. So there's a few things that plot points that I skipped, but I'm going to touch base on them during my recap of the movie. So the movie basically starts at the same thing way. We have Janie coming back to town. She's walking, she's barefooted. Um, she's have- enjoying nature in, in a sense, but she's definitely, you can tell she's been through the ringer, the same basic idea. The town's whispering. They're sitting outside on their porches and they're talking about her. Same thing. She talks to her friend. She tells her friend her whole story. Same thing. We get the flashback of her, her nanny and kissing the boy at the fence and getting forced to get married. Um, There's a little bit more about Janie and her love of nature in the movie. She has a moment with a caterpillar climbing on her face. She likes to go outside. She likes to lay in the water in, I guess it's like a creek, and look up at the trees, and she says, you know, what are you doing? She says, I'm watching God. She watches the sky and the clouds and the light, and um, she's very much in tune with nature and the natural world. Um, she wants to run around barefoot and feel the wind in her hair. Nature's a reoccurring motif. Anyways, her marriage with Logan... Progresses in the normal way. He treats her as a workhorse. He's not respectful of her. Eventually, Jody comes on down the the road. There's this flirty, their their meat cute in the movie is much cuter than it is in the book. Uh, But the same basic thing happens. He whisks her away, marries her, pumps her up, puts her on a pedestal. She is the mayor's wife, he says. And uh, she is having to be kept separate from the rest of the town. They touched on this in the book a lot. But in the movie, they they just hit this nail on the head over and over and over again. At one point, somebody asks if she's going to make a speech. And before she can even say anything, her husband says, oh, I didn't marry her because she can make speeches. You know, I'm the mayor, yada, yada, yada. And she doesn't even get a voice. Um, also, he buys her very expensive clothing. And so even though the church ladies had made her a dress for a big event, her husband basically says, Janie, you gotta wear this dress because it's fancy and you are better than all of those people. And of course, that leads to resentment in the town. The, the ladies are bitter that they've made this dress for her and she acted like she liked it, which she did. And then she didn't wear it to the event. So there, there's always this distance between Janie and the other women, which is very sad for Janie. He, um, Jody doesn't let her participate in porch life. Same as in the book. Same thing. He talks down to her. He makes fun of her. All of this stuff. He insults the way she looks. And again, in the movie, time goes by. They, you know, they're married for a long time in both the book and the movie—over twenty years. This happens in the town of the town that gets prosperous, and Jody gets big and fat, and eventually sick, and eventually dies. And, and all of that is pretty much the same in the movie as it is in the book. And then again, there she is. She's got some independence. There's suitors sniffing around. Um, in the movie, there's a there's one main one named Amos, who's pretty sure he's just, he's gonna marry her and take over and all of this stuff. But she's not real interested. She doesn't want to get married again. Right after the funeral for Jody, again, Janie goes back into the water. She has kind of a baptism again in nature. She's laying there in the water in her funeral clothes, letting her hair run free now and watching God. Then enter tea Cake, who is got his shirt open, and he's all sexy and sensual, and, and their relationship starts on a sensual place and just kicks it up a notch. Always, always, always more passionate, more sensual, more sexual. And the same thing, he courts her in the movie. He doesn't play the guitar, but he does play both the piano and the harmonica. So it's a little different. Um, the piano is important, and I will talk about that when we talk about differences and adaptations. But the same basic thing. He says, let's go away together. We're going to go off and live in the muck and, you know, work for Beans, etc., etc. And in the movie, they don't get married. Janie is pretty clear. She does not ever want to get married to anybody ever again. But off she goes with Tea Cake. It's important that in both the book and the movie, Tea Cake makes a point of saying, you know, I'm going to support us. We're only going to use the money that I make. Of course, he says that after stealing $200 from her and losing that in gambling. So take it as a grain of salt, I suppose. But he is very sure he's not taking her money. He wants them to live as man and wife. So Janie still has all this money, but she's still working in the fields with him and, and having their life. And in the Everglades, the same thing. They're working together. They're loving together. There's Now we have our bits of, of jealousy in the book in the movie, we don't have any of that. It's just glossed over. Everybody's happy and gets along well. In the book, we have a Mrs. Turner, who is this racist woman who's constantly telling Janie that she should leave t Cake because he's too black for her. And there's other racial stuff that's happening in the book that is glossed over in the movie. In the book, there's a man who's – it's Mrs. Turner's brother's kind of sniffing around Janie. And t Cake's all jealous um there's also a girl called Nunky I think is how you would say it. And she's sniffing around tea cake and Janie gets all jealous and actually kind of attacks tea cake. And, but of course, you know, she's smacking at him with her lovely little girly hands and he's holding her wrists and explaining that he doesn't love anybody but her. And then that turns into hot, passionate sex because that's what happens in the book. Lots of hot, passionate sex, which is kind of on screen and kind of off. And in the movie, it is all on screen. we got lots of hot, passionate sex, even though we don't have that specific nunky situation happen. Um, The hurricane is coming, the winds are blowing, there's still a point in the movie where Janie's looking up at the sky, she's watching the sky, and he says, what are you doing, Janie? And she says, I'm watching God. Again, Janie has this connection with nature, she has a connection with the sky and with the winds and with the water. Then the big hurricane comes, same basic thing, everybody leaves except for them. Same thing, T Cake gets bit by a rabbit dog. He progresses, he gets through his, his sickness pretty quickly. Suddenly he's, you know, going rabid and, and it's just graphic and horrible. The same thing. Janie finds the gun, she takes out the bullets, she knows what's coming, and she does have to kill T. Cake. There's no trial in the movie like there was in the book, but that was fine. I mean, we can talk about differences, but that is a, a a pretty big difference. And again, Janie Goes home, back to Eatonville where her house is, and she still has all of her money, and she's going to be there now, and we're not exactly sure what the future's going to hold for her. But the very last part of the movie is Janie back out there in nature, letting her hair fall free, getting into the water, another rebaptism of sorts, a new chapter of her life, and what does she say she's doing? Why, she's watching God. That's the book and the movie, and there are some differences that we'll talk about and that they had to do for adaptations, but... Uh, Most of the major plot points stay the
1: same in the the adaptation. It's a fairly accurate thing, considering that you always have to make certain choices. Right. Then, do we want to say where we came to it
0: first before we... Um, Go ahead. Okay, so I put this book on the list because I'd read the book a couple times when I was younger, and then I was... 24. When the movie came out, it it was a made for TV movie produced by Oprah Oprah Winfrey, starring Halle Berry, and because it was a made for TV movie, an ABC movie, I actually watched it when it aired, like on you know, and I'd already liked the book, and I thought the movie did a great job at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, blown away, and and I had my own baggage bringing into this, but Janie's changed throughout the course of. The book and the movie, um, going from this marriage to something different and and having unrealistic expectations of what marriage was and love and what to expect out of life really resonated with me at 24. I was divorced by 25. So this was the tail end of that for me. And so I really, like I said, the the story resonated with me. Janie finding her voice, um, all of that stuff. And I thought the movie was just amazing and there's a couple things that they did these changes that they made and we're definitely going to talk about them that for years i would hold up as an example of when you're adapting a book into a movie sometimes you can't get these huge concepts so you need a a symbol you need something crystalline and i felt like what they did in the movie especially with the dress which was something i've already referenced he that she's there with the girls the, the the sunday gals um, the town ladies and they've made her a dress, and she's so happy and she's bouncing around. They're looking at the mirror, and all these women are giggling together, and they're so excited. And then Jody walks in. He's got this box, and he's, you know, he opens it up, and it's this, this. I think it's whalebone or something. I and mean, it is like severe, and it corseted in, and it is heavy and black. And he's like, "This is your dress, and you're the mayor's wife, and you're too. You're better than all those ladies." And and so then she has to put this dress on, and she has to stand up on the porch for the the night of the event, and she hears the ladies behind the house, whispering and going, oh my God, like she acted like she's better than us. She's acted like she liked this dress and she doesn't. And, you know, and that, that distance and how Janie couldn't say anything to them because she was doing what she thought. She, she thought I love my husband he loves me. This is what love means. So of course I'm going to wear the dress that he bought me, even though that's not what I actually want. And I just, I felt like that was such a beautiful way of showcasing what was going on in the book. In And then in the movie, when he, at the end, he's taking the dress off. She's a little pissed. She's a little, you know, unhappy about how the night has gone. He can kind of sense that he's being all sensual. He's taking her dress off of her. He opens the back and there are marks on her body. This dress has, it's a literal cage. It is so confining that it has marked her back. She's, she's basically got these huge scratch bruises on her and he does not see them. He is too enamored with the idea of what she was doing. He's always kissing her back and he he was in love with the idea of her and just ignoring her pain, literally ignoring the proof of that pain that is on her body, the marks on her body. So, okay. Anyways, I, I very much liked the movie. I will say having watched it now, um, I will not say that I'm woke, but I will say that I am attempting to wake and I am waking. Um, I can see why a lot of people did not like this movie and why it got a lot of negative reaction because it definitely glosses over a lot of the racism stuff and it changes and, and focuses on certain different things. It makes the movies much more of the love story. And some people say it's less about Janie, but I, and I So I have different feelings on it now, but I would say when I watched this in 2004, I I, I bought it into it, and I just thought it was great. So,
1: Okay, so my turn? Yeah. All right. Um, I read the book a little over 20 years ago, and at the time when I first read it, I thought, what the fuck with the abuse? Because even with TK, he's whipping her, and there's another scene where he hits her, and everyone's like, oh, that's him claiming her. I was like, oh, this is crap. So 20 years later, I read the book what the fuck with the violence? Why is he hitting her? And that that bothers me. So I'm, I'm throwing that out there right now. Um, I did not see the movie when it came out. Although I do have to agree with you on a lot of it, that they do some really interesting things. I wish they were a little bit more bold, but considering it is a visual medium and you do have to reinvent a lot of... Uh, the metaphors that are going on. So in the book, there's a lot of horizon talk. There's a lot of allusions to trees. There's a bunch of these things. You can't have that nearly as well. And the book has some of the most beautiful language. I, I really enjoyed reading it just for that alone. Um, so you've got this movie, and you've got a change to a visual medium. And they do voiceover. It reminds me of a line from adaptation where, God help you if you use voiceover in a movie. Huh. But it doesn't bother me. Yeah. It doesn't bother me that much. I just thought it kind of hit me. That's that's sort of funny. Um, But I liked how they portrayed her as this person who's very in touch with nature. I thought Halle Berry and a lot of the casting was very well done because she is absolutely gorgeous. And like uh, what you said with the dress, that is very striking in the film. Because it looks like she's at a funeral. Yeah. It's black. It is dark. And, and she's covered up. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. Uh, and her original dress was white. It was bright. It was airy. It was very sensual. It had kind of this little dip down um, her front. So you could see a little and bit And her more. hair was down. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some really good use of visual medium. I wish they had pushed it a little bit more. I, I agree. And...
0: All I can say is, I mean, it was 2004, different time, mm. you know, when you're making a movie I mean, you're adapting something that's so loved. Um, but I, I think that the audience has a, matters here because the book was written. Zora Neale Hurston wrote it as part of a magazine that was trying to, to start um, around the time of the Harlem Renaissance, and she wanted it to be a joyful retelling of Black life because a lot of stuff in the Harlem Renaissance was like the, the negative parts and the downbeaten and etc. And she wanted to write something that was like, okay, here's somebody who's living a life and who's feminist, who uh, grows and changes, and she and and ha- and owns her sexuality and so she was writing it for a black audience and she was it was aspirational and it was very widely disliked the book was, or that the story was not liked and then and that magazine folded and she just kind of went away in obscurity. Zora Neale Hurston actually ended up living on food stamps and... She was a maid at the she end She was a maid life. at the end of her life. She had no money, like all this stuff. Well, and then her stuff was rediscovered in the Sadie. By Alice Walker. Alice Walker. In who the, I love. In the 70s, I should yeah. say, yeah. By Alice Walker. And then now we have Oprah who's like, okay, this, this book is great, blah, blah, blah. Let's make it for, into a movie. Let's bring it forward to the audience. But it's ABC. So this is not... A movie that is, you know, made for white, you know, uh, movie theaters, and maybe even for black audience. And, and we have to remember that now, nowadays, in 2019, we have Black Panther, we have movies that are made for black audiences, primarily because the world has woken up and realized that there's this whole subset of the population that exists, but also... It's not the exploitation movies, the, the black exploitation movies, the, you know, the niche market, like they're wide releases. Well, this movie couldn't be that wide release. It was 2004, 15 years ago that the world wasn't ready for that or people weren't ready to let it be ready for that. So it's a made for TV movie. It's small in that case. And because it's ABC, you know that most of the audience was going to be white. So this was, this was a black woman's story, but changed a little bit for white people. And I think that what she was trying to do, Oprah, um, was make this movie to give you a sense of that time and a sense of the place and say, Hey, look, black women, the mules of the world are vibrant and amazing and beautiful and should have autonomy. And, and go through struggles just like – there's so many white women books that are like, oh, my husband was bad and then I left him and then I had this other husband who wasn't bad and I, I don't understand love. And so like that idea is very universal. And so then they, they amped up the sex stuff in the movie for sure. Unfortunately, they also downplayed a lot of the racism. But
1: like you're saying, I think it was – they weren't quite brave enough to do really it I was really surprised by how sensual many scenes were just like, oh, because it, it, it's, it's got that look that's made for TV. So the the nudity and it, it was it was well done and it, it was tasteful. I was just surprised by you know two thousand and four that they had that.
0: Yeah, well, and little things like in the book, the first night that TK goes over to Janie's house, you know, he cuts some lemons off the tree and they go in and he squeezes them on lip, on pound cake and they eat and blah blah blah. Well, in the movie, he cuts the lemons and then he cuts it open and he rubs it on her lips. I mean, like it is very sensual, very sensual. But I mean, that's like shorthand for the visual meat of him being like, this is some sexy stuff that's happening. In case you didn't get it by the, the long lingering pan over his sexy open shirted chest area, you know? Um, and an important change that they made in the, in the movie, which I think again kind of goes to the theme, is that in the movie, Janie sees Tea Cake and, and flirts with him first. She, she, Pursues him in the movie. Before in the book, he definitely pursued her
1: first. So little changes like that. It was so hit over the head in the movie. Oh, you know, she goodness. sees him, and there's the music, and you got the eye Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The close-ups
0: and the. I mean, okay. It was but a little overdone. I can see why people, having loved the book and and read the book for so many things, were disappointed that the movie only focused on some of those so many things.
1: I can see that. I will agree that it was toned down a lot for a wider audience, but it's films like this. Did you say whiter or wider audience? Whiter with a D. Okay. Because <laughs> it kind of works on both ways, but sure true. enough. <laughs> yeah. So wider, white audience. <laughs> but it's films like these that allow other films to be made. Yes, exactly. I, 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 yeah. Progress so you need is... a in order to get films like, you know, 12 Years a Slave. You, you need to yeah. have that progression. So... It, it is what it is at that time. It was necessary, and now we can have better films. Yeah. No, for sure. And progress is a series of steps. Yes. So I – yeah.
0: Okay. So um some of the other differences that I thought worked. Uh, in the book, T. Cake plays the guitar. And in the movie, T. Cake does not have a guitar, but he does play the piano. And why is that interesting? Because the piano – Was a symbol of
1: – that she wasn't allowed to play, that there was this creative thing that she was denied. It was something her husband, her second husband, bought in order to go, look at how much money we have. Yeah, literally, they
0: put it in the house. And she goes, neither one of us play. And he says, that's not for playing. It's for looking at like the whole thing. And so that was like this great symbol of him. And then Tea shows up and he's like, I can play and I will teach you how to play. And he does, you know, and that's,
1: yeah. I really loved that the hobbies that he teaches her are all very masculine because she's got that tomboy feel to her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's a gorgeous woman in both the book and the movie, but they go fishing and they go hunting and, you know, she's doing these rather masculine pursuits. So I thought that was cool.
0: Right. And she wasn't, she wasn't, um, Like, afraid of the hard work, you know, When, when they're down there in the muck, they had enough for him. She could stay at the home and just cook all day and like wait for him and be in this domestic place, but he missed her in the fields and she missed him. So they're out there working
1: together and laughing and joking and playing and like. Yeah, she's a really physical woman and she likes to be active. Yeah. So that's one of the things I actually really liked is she was a shop person. It's a, I won't say that it's, An easy life, but it's less labor intensive. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't where she wanted to be. She wanted to work with her hands.
0: Yeah, exactly. And she didn't like the, the shop stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She didn't like having to count tobacco. Like a pound is really easy. Oh, you want a pound and a half? Ah, ah, a 10 cents worth of something. And she's like, oh, man, that's math, you know? Like, <laughs> And I like that. I like that we have a character who's
0: not the paradigm of all things, you know? Like, okay, so this character doesn't like math. That's cool. This character would rather be out fishing, you know? That's cool. That's totally not me. <laughs> but I love that about Janie.
1: Yeah. And – And TK
0: never said, okay, here's something I want you to learn because I want you to learn it. It was more like, oh, you're interested in this. Let me help you with it. You know, let's be adventurous and go fishing in
1: the middle of the night. And so, what did you think about the scene when she goes to meet him at the hotel? He takes her money and she's like, oh my God, he left me. And when he comes back, he's like, well, yeah, I had a party with yeah. it. <laughs> okay so this is much more in the book so yeah so they,
0: they go off together and she's got like $10 in her purse but she's got $200 pinned into her dress and they they get you know in the book they get married in the, in the movie they don't and so then they're in this hotel and they're having all this love blah 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 and then he's like I'm gonna go out and like take a look at the tab and see what's here and he's gone for like two days and she freaks out and her money's gone too she wakes up her money's gone And, and, and he's gone. And she's just like, oh, crap. Like, did he use me? What is going on? And she just basically has to sit there and wait and like stew about it. And it's awful, you know, and she's so upset. And it turns out that he was like, he comes back and he's like, yeah, so I gambled it. And, and then I want a bunch of money. And then I had a big party and I could never get away from the party long enough to like get you to, to come well, to this party. He also didn't want
1: her to see well, his friends. So,
0: yes. Well, yeah. and that's ends up when she's like, why wouldn't you
1: have come to this party?
0: Why would not you have let me come? I want to be there. I want to do this with you. And he's like, what are you talking about? You're like, you were the mayor's wife. You're too good for the likes of these people. And she's like, that's bullshit. And I never put myself up on that porch. Jody put me on that porch. I want to be down with the people. And so it was really important to her to To go the places with Tea Cake, to go to the dance places, and to go to the cookouts, and then to go into the muck. And, yeah. And her own sense of identity. But was such a... He's such
1: a goober
0: guy. Yeah. I mean, okay. And here again, I like that he's not perfect. Because that would have been annoying if he had been all things and, and super perfect. Like, he's a flawed character, too. I don't think I could be with Tea Cake. But... Okay, like, because he's a gambler, and he loses money, and he... She just forgave him awfully fast. She, yes. And again, you know, like, she was older at that point, but I would say she's emotionally was still very young. And definitely wrapped up in that romance. In both the book and the movie, you have this idea that she's just enamored with the romantic ideas of things. And so she can get swept away by stuff.
1: There's a line, though, where um, he gets her to laugh about the party, and he says, Well, yeah, I charge the ugly girls $2 to... Get in. And I was like, ah, tea cake. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff
0: now that you're like problematic. Uh. Well, and
1: then there's a lot of um, racism stuff about the Native American people. And, uh, and then it was more like the domestic violence that got me because with tea cake, it's treated like nothing. It's, oh, well, she became the dream of men's dreams because she was willing to submit to him hitting her and whipping her and she's like, ah, eh, yeah, that's just what he does. Yeah, I, yes. For and, a feminine, it's, it's one of those things that like you're talking about progress and I said before, progress takes
0: steps, but like Yeah, she was okay. It's a feminist novel in a lot of ways, and yet she's still like, Yeah, my husband hit me, but he loved me, so it's okay. When Jody hit her, it was bad, because Jody hit her and it was bad. But when TK hits me, it's okay because he loves me and he's he's just really doing this, you know, for outside views. And there is
1: that exact comparison with her in the dress where you know Jody's kissing her as he's taking off the dress and she's got marks and these bruises that are coming out. And When TK hits her, it's like, yeah, but he's so lovey about it. And all the girls are jealous. I'm like, really? Yeah. There's no difference here except that the author thinks it's different. Yeah. This is one of those things where you would need an editor to go, "Um, no, you got to fix this a little bit. Well, what I thought was interesting, too, is in the book, it ex- like we get a third-person narr- narrator
0: for a couple times at one point when Jody Jody fills this. Jody is filled with this type of rage, and so he wants to make Janie small, so he responds to her, and he shows his dominance by hitting. We get into his brain. When Tea Cake's hitting her, we don't get that explanation of Tea Cake. We get Janie's explanation of why Tea Cake, and we get the society outside, like all the people in the other house is looking at and being like, oh, that's what's
1: going on etc etc so i thought that was interesting from just a a writer standpoint yeah the framing device isn't really a framing device it's more of like a a one-sided bookend because at the end you don't really have her going back to her friend and saying oh this is you know my life now it's just sort of the story ends after tea cake no no she's still talking to phoebe she's still talking to her but like the beginning you have this long introduction of her talking to phoebe and then at the end it's just like oh yeah and here's my life
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, so I, it's still a framing device, but she definitely, the narration takes some, some, some poetic license because we have stuff that Janie wasn't there for, Janie didn't know for sure. And it, the language was very pretty. It was very poetic, but there's also, um, Zora Neil Hurston wrote this in dialect. So the people's accents are very thick and that, takes a while to yeah. You have to
1: really train your eye to sort of see and yeah to hear it
0: almost. Like there were parts of this I had to read out loud so that I could figure out what was actually being said by the character characters in their name or in their dialogue, which they obviously changed for the movie. They they made it southern, but it definitely was not the dialect as severe.
1: So this story was written in seven weeks. Yeah, it's a very short amount of time. It again I, I i want to emphasize the language in this is absolutely gorgeous, but there are times when, oh, I wish you had an editor. I wish you had like a second chance to go over this at some point because there are just times where I go ah this this needs some tweaking and fixing so considering that it it's a pretty amazing novel, yes. Yep. Um, so back to when it was received, I was reading a bunch of the reviews, and I noticed there was a division between male reviews and female reviews. Mm-hmm. Female reviews were much more forgiving. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Shocking. Interesting. <laughs> but it also makes me think how we sometimes eat our own. hmm And so that's... Her, her story wasn't about the typical Harlem Renaissance of, like, black boy or native right. son. You know, these are stories where we are being abused. It was, no, let's tell stories about a little more folktale, a little bit happier, even if there are negative things that happen in it. It is, there's a lot of jokiness to it.
0: Yeah, well, and, and the, the sense of the town and the people. I and mean, there's a lot of times in the book where we get, you know, we get a whole chapter of, like, what the, the guys. Like, well, yeah, there's a town mule, and that's a town joke, and the mule has adventures. And then there's, like, the guys playing checkers, and they're telling their tall tales. And, they're, and we get a lot of that in the book. And on the one hand, I'm like, okay, this isn't progressing the plot, but it's setting up the tapestry of the town. And so, it's like, that's important because that was important. It's creating a mood. It's creating the sense of the time and the place and the people who are there, and they feel very real and realized. And the movie, I mean, just because limitations of time and space, it had the people on the porch. It definitely had
1: some of that, but it it had to cut stuff out. Like, the mule Mm -hmm. wasn't there. So, okay. kind of sad that Mrs. Turner wasn't in the movie. But again, I think that was cut out for audience reasons. But she has a very interesting role in this.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and it gets into the idea of – the hierarchical system in the black community of how black is too much black and if you're lighter skin you are then like you're closer to passing for white or whatever so like there's there's this, this system and light skinned has its own baggage but and that's a thing that Black communities have have struggled with and are still struggling with. And they just recently did a whole. Well, that's true, but we're talking about it. They just recently did a whole episode on that on Blackish, which is a modern day sitcom about a Black family having these important conversations about, well, you know, I'm dark skinned and I'm light skinned and what does that mean? And you don't really understand my situation because you're lighter than me and people treat you differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's very relevant. It's very prevalent. And it is disappointing that it wasn't in the movie, but it definitely was in the book, especially when. She was like, tea cake's too dark for you. And like, you know, you should be with, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much use of the N word. So much use of the N word. Um, one of the things that I read about the movie, some people didn't like was that the actor playing tea cake is, is not as dark as he was
1: in the book. And like that made a difference, but it's hard to say what it is because there isn't much of a description. Um, we get some great descriptions of her and her pugnacious breast and how her buttocks look like grapefruit. <laughs> Yep, oh, but I like that word pugnacious breasts. Pugnacious breasts. That just makes me think of those
0: dogs, the pugs, <laughs> and then I think of like two pug faces sticking.
1: <laughs> no, I thought she had you know angry, ready to fight breasts. There you go. Well, maybe she did. <laughs> the warrior woman, yeah. <laughs> straining against the
0: overalls. <laughs> yeah, and even the overalls, you know, dressed in a in a masculine sort of way, and the women are just
1: horrified. In town, yeah right? and I, I I thought that was interesting. You know, we've talked about the Greek choir before and this whole time like whenever it's referencing the town people it's always judgment. Mm-hmm. It's always against her and it's always her being her own person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just to remind you guys the Greek chorus is a narrative device um, that started with Greek plays and it is like part audience identification and part expositional uh pandering I suppose you could say. Like it's th- they're there to tell you and to fill in the gaps, but they are very much judging what's happening on the
1: screen or in, in the middle of the play. So, so it's ironic use of Greek course because we're not supposed to sympathize with them. No, definitely not. Well, we sympathize with her for sure. But yeah. yeah,
0: she's definitely being judged by the town. And again, they left the trial out, which I think was a smart move. But at the trial, a bunch of the people in the in the little town down there in the muck showed up to testify against Janie. They were like, Tea Cake was great. How dare she kill him? Even though she totally did it in self defense, and you know, um, and then later
1: on they forgive her. And I'm like, that's yeah, they bullshit. forgive her, and
0: then they asked basically they wanted her forgiveness, and so yeah, like you said about editing, I didn't quite understand that. It felt like maybe her was trying to make a point about the shifting um, alliances, alliances of groupthink and mob rule, almost, and like you have to, you have to, I'm sorry, you have to punish somebody or make somebody the scapegoat of your, your fear and your anger. And if she had tied that in into other things, how Jody made Janie the scapegoat of his age and his failing health and how. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you could, you could maybe have tied in the town made her the scapegoat because she was the mayor's wife, and the mayor bothered them. He was mean to them, but they couldn't really do anything because he was the big man with the big voice, and he was in charge. So, but they could, they could talk smack about his wife behind
1: their back. Do You know what I mean? So, like, you could make a play for that, but it wasn't really fleshed out at the end of the novel. So, just to draw an ironic parallel, I, I felt like the novel was in the exact same position of here's a novel that's different; it's its own novel. And then there are all these negative criticisms of it. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, nope, it's going to be its own novel and that's it.
0: Yeah. And then it gets
1: rediscovered later and people
0: are are more amenable to it. And
1: that's why, I mean, like sometimes groups eat their own. So you have one wave of feminism who's like, oh, you don't want to be a housewife. And then later on, no, we don't need to judge women who want to be housewives. Right. So you do go through those stages of, okay, we as a community need to be this. And we have somebody who's like, no, that's not where I fit. Mm -hmm. You have to go through that stage where, okay, we need to be a lot more accepting. We're trying to fight out of this one sort of narrative and in that you erase others and then have to rediscover that. That narrative is just as important. Well, and real freedom means choice. Yeah,
0: And, you know, Janie was very lucky. She was independent and she was independently wealthy, you know, and she had a lot of freedom. She had a situation that was enviable by all the other people. And 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 that was the thing, the town, they didn't want her to be independent. They didn't want her to, to be single. Like a woman can't be single. What are you talking about? You need a husband. She doesn't actually like, you need someone to take care of you. Well, no man, she's independently wealthy. Like she didn't need that social structure. But the town could not quite deal with her not having that. So they were like, nope, nope, nope. We're going to figure this out. And then when she finally, she's like, okay, I got this guy. They're like, no, he is young. He is a drifter. He's not good enough for you. There's
1: absolutely nothing wrong with dating a younger man. <laughs> just just, <laughs> just saying. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. 12 um, years is perfectly acceptable. <laughs>
0: We're going to circle back to this when the mic is off. Okay. Um, <laughs> la, la, la. But yeah, like, so the, the town in itself was, a, it was hypocritical because it's like, oh no, you have to have a man, but not that man. You know, um, he's not good enough for you. But at the same
1: time, we all think we're kind of better than you because you act like you're better than us. I mean, like, you know, so there was definitely a lot of that. So, anyway. so a lot of the criticism against the novel at that time was they were, a, a lot of the writers at the time were trying to get away from the stereotype of, you know, the country Negro who's just joking and playing with the mule and the tall tales and sort of the country-fiedness of it. And it's unfortunate. Again, I'm, I'm glad that this was rediscovered. And we can bring it back and enjoy it for what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so another line that I really love in, in this, and not quite it exactly, but it's during Tea Cake's funeral. And she's not dressed in funeral because she's she's too much in mourning to Mm -hmm. dress like she's in mourning. Yeah. So there are some great lines like that. Oh. Yeah. Well, and then just going backwards a little bit, when she
0: she buried Jodi and then she was wearing her official mourning outfits and, you know, all of that stuff, and then at some point in the book she says, I think that mourning shouldn't last any longer than grief. Yeah, and that's so profound, and she's so right. You know, like that th- there's this social structure that says you have to wear these certain clothing for this amount of time to pay proper respect, and da da da. If you don't do that, then you're failing in some way. And she's like, "Look, I, you know, I can be
1: sad, but I'm not gonna grieve in the same way. You know, he was he was a lout. So you know, her it reminds uh, me a little bit of Scarlett O'Hara, who had to wear grieving clothes for a certain amount of time, and she wants to dance and party and just uh-huh. doesn't feel it. Yeah.
0: Well, a lot of us have those kinds of moments where you're socially expected to do or say something. And, and you know. it was
1: very st- structured at the time. So you had morning clothes and you had half morning clothes. Mm-hmm. And everything had a specific period of time that you're supposed to do this. So she is really bucking the system at this point. Yeah, definitely.
0: Something that was different in the book and the movie, very small thing, was in the movie... Uh, Jody actually calls Janie out for not having children. He says, You've never given me a child. And, well, it's just part of like a whole larger part when he's railing against her and you know, giving her attitude and stuff. In the book, it's just never even brought up. But I found it really interesting because, again, like, we're, we're not told that Janie's using, um, prophylactics. And I can't imagine that the men she was with were interested. But yeah, there's, there's no babies. This is a, again, Janie being, an an atypical woman of her time not only was she independently wealthy and beautiful blah blah all of that stuff she didn't have kids and like how different would this novel have been if if freaking logan kilrix had knocked her up early on she might not have been able to go off with jody and then if jody had if they'd had a child you know at some point then she would have had a
1: tie into the town Mm -hmm. it would have been you know all of that stuff she wasn't married to her first husband for that long um and i wonder if she and if she and Jody had chosen not to have children, in the book, yeah, I, I don't know because there, there's no resentment at all that she doesn't have children. Yeah, it's
0: never even brought up at all. But in the movie, he it's just a fly line. He just you yeah. know lets it out during the thing. And so I thought, well, that was, that's interesting. But it definitely changes her character. And um, and she did. And so here's the thing: she never feels bad about it in the book. She's not like, oh, I, I wish I was a mother, or I see children and I feel this ache inside my body. Like none of that because. That's not her. And I love that about this character who's like, no, I'm my own person and I am not going to buck to societal society's expectations of me. So, I
1: mean, so she there did, were, to a certain
0: extent, but then eventually she found her way out. Go ahead.
1: There are certain scenes in the novel that made me think that this is based on a lot of true stories. So when they're in the, the hurricane and they're trying to swim away, there's a rabid dog on top of a cow that's trying to swim. That is not something I think most people would invent. That sounds like a story that she heard or knew something about that felt very real life. Yeah. Because when is that ever going to... Well, know? and
0: and even like there's people hiding up uh, in trees and, and there's animals. There's like snakes and stuff up there. And the snakes yeah. are not interested in the people. They're just interested in being safe. And, you know, animals are coming out and, and being around people that normally they'd be scared of. But they can't, you know, it makes... You know, allies, uh, when you're facing nature, God, nature, whatever you want to be you know, like the bigger things, mm-hmm. um, suddenly your little petty stuff and rivalries don't matter as much. And so, yeah, the book definitely talked about that. And I think there's a lot of things that are written about hurricane stuff that you could pull from, you know, people being naked and having their clothes ripped off of them and people being flung hither, there and yawn and drowning and, and all of those stuff. There's, there's a lot of books about people who living through hurricanes mm-hmm. and stuff. But yeah.
1: So, Tea cake getting rabies, you never hear that story anymore. You know, we've gotten rid of it in this country. And I think back to, like, To Kill a Mockingbird. When you saw a rabid dog, everyone freaked out Mm -hmm. because it was a death sentence if this dog got to you. And you never hear those stories anymore. It kind of reminds me of the stuff that used to be a danger that we've gotten rid of and that we don't see that. I don't know of any other character other than like Cujo. I was going to say
0: Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> There's but, a book made into a movie.
1: <laughs> well, we do have like Stephen King as a general because most of his books are made into movies. But right. Yeah. To, to see a human go through that, we, we don't have that fear anymore. And it's sort of how we've become sort of immune to the dangers that an earlier society had to deal with. Like how often do you see people with polio? It's unfortunately becoming a little bit more common for reasons that are unfortunate. Yes. And I did know somebody with polio, but you almost never see that anymore. And so that fear goes away and we have to sort of remind ourselves that, no, this is still a real danger. This is still a real thing. Vaccinate your children. So we have themes like
0: the gender roles, the patriarchy, um, the trap of safety, the social expectations, which are oppressive, Mm. even in their safe.
1: I thought, like, Nanny wasn't actually her real name. It was just what the white children called her because she was their nanny, and then that becomes her name. Yeah, that's true. So even for her granddaughter, it's still Nanny. But, you
0: know, just bringing back to what you were just talking about, how um, when things go away, we're not as afraid of them because we live in a different context. So Nanny was, you know was raised as a slave. And so she was like, okay, if you can get to a place of security, that is all I want for you. That is Mm -hmm. all I want for you to not be, you know, a slave and to like, to have a husband to be okay. And so that was it. And so she put, you know Janie into that position, and Janie's like, okay, but that's not all that I want. I want love, and Nanny's like, what time about love? There's no time for love. Love is a thing, like what you know, whatever. You need safety, you need security, and I and so you can see that as this generational thing. Like you have people who are like, I want my kids to have it better than me, and a lot of times they go better one or two steps, and then the kids are like, well, we want to be better one or two steps, and then the next generation's one or two steps, and eventually you have. Generation A and Generation J, and it's the, the, what they, what they expect out of life and want out of life is so drastically different. I can think of like, even just a couple generations back, my grandmother's expectations, like, you know, when she was growing up of what counted as a good life and a, and a, and a well done and, you know, what you were mm-hmm. supposed to do and, and aspire to is drastically different than what I'm teaching Ella my daughter, to, to want and aspire to and expect out of life. You know, I, I she is being raised to expect things that my mother and my grandmother would never dream of expecting.
1: Yeah. So just that whole idea of independence, it was not there. Yeah. And she is such an independent woman. Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Jamie. Um, I thought that the whole mule thing... Which we touched on a little bit was just really fascinating because there's a lot. You of- want to explain? Okay, so in the book, there's this mule. He's the mule is, is abused and is a character all on its own. So they make stories about the mule because the mule is cantankerous and does not like having to do work. But there's a lot of metaphors that go with men are mules until they get home that women are mules of the world of the world because they're the ones who have to do all the work so there is one good thing that jody does Mm -hmm. is jamie at one point she just has like this little tiny throwaway line almost of just that poor mule and so jody buys the mule and lets it just rest out its life so it's not abused anymore Yeah, And the mule dies and becomes sort of a figure in the town. (laughs) So the children play with its bones. Well, there's
0: this great funeral that, of course, Jeannie's not allowed to go to because Jody says that she's better than that, even though he went and made a big speech. I mean, it was nice that he took care of the mule, but he took care of the mule as a way of being like, look, I have money. I can just buy a mule that I'm not even going to need to work and, you know, all of that stuff. So, I mean, it was a nice thing, but I don't really trust his motives. I see that. So, but yeah, and Janie, you know, I I thought it was interesting that um, Janie's grandmother does say, you know, black women are the mules of the world. And then in the town, there's this mule that is mocked, ridiculed, and, you know, whatever. It's kind of waiting for a mule at the end, because a lot of times narrative stuff happens in threes. Um, But but no, the dog, I was going to say, the dog was (laughs) on a cow, not a mule, although that would have been... Very interesting.
1: <laughs> that might have been a little too much. Too, too
0: on the nose, yeah. too bonk, bonk on the head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Anyways,
0: we talked about the racism and how it was glossed over. Uh, okay, so this is interesting. There's this the theory of self-actualization. So I thought this was cool. I'm going to open up this little thing, and I will link this in the notes on our blog, popcornpodcast.com Okay.
1: Leave a review.
0: Yeah, please do. Okay, so what we start with – On a psychological level, we see the main character, Janie, grow through four of the five stages of Maslow's hierarchy of personal development, depending on which version you read. The growth happens over the course of four of Janie's relationships, the last being a relationship with herself. Okay, so we're going to have the first is, the first level is the lack of personal identity. And what we see that is that Janie didn't even know that she was black until she saw this picture of herself with all these other people and she you know calls her grandmother's name the same you know all of that stuff okay then her janie's first relationship is with logan then janie's second relationship is with joe her third relationship with tea cake and her fourth relationship with herself and how that breaks down um from the the little maslow's hierarchy of need of stuff the first one is cycle psych- um sorry physiological. physiological which is breathing food water sex sleep okay so and that's Physiological Janie's first sense. And then safety, okay, that is Jody. Jody is she's safe. She's up on the porch. She's being taken care of. She's very financially secure. Then we have love and belonging. That's the friendship, family, sexual intimacy. That's tea cake, right? And then we have the esteem towards the top, which is that self-esteem, the confidence that she gets from after TK's died when she chooses herself over him. She chooses to kill him so that he doesn't kill her. And then she chooses to go back to the town where she, where she, you know, was because she can make that choice. She's not following somebody else, um, ending with self-actualization. So I'm going to link this, but I just thought that's really cool. I didn't see that. And it's a great. Comparison. Yeah, she had no identity. Then her physiological, like I said, she's just basically getting those needs met. Yeah, that's Logan right there. You know, like she's got whatever, and then safety, and we move on up. So Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah, this was a great article that I found, and I will definitely link to it. Of course, this article was also like, that movie was bad and the book was good. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) Okay, I can agree with some of what you're saying, but I didn't think that the movie was as bad. But you know what? you know, I'm a white girl who watched this at 24 and was pretty enamored with the love story part. And like the idea that you could leave a marriage that wasn't working for you in all the ways that marriage should work and go and find something better. So, I know that I'm bringing my own stuff into this
1: for sure. Well, that's what we do. I mean, whenever we read a novel or watch a movie, this is a bi-directional creative process. Mm-hmm. It's not just the medium in and out of itself. It's your past experiences and your knowledge of the world. And that's part of the creative process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I would say like even today the book and Janie's growth and change really resonates with me that finding of herself and being unapologetically herself. Even if even if it she had 20 years of toiling with Jody, you know, and that's 20 years is a long time. I feel like in a if, if this novel were written today, Especially if this novel was written today by a white author, I feel like that 20 years would have been like two years, it would not have been this long thing, it would have been like, Oh, I'm I'm unhappy. And so I'm gonna move on. And I'm unhappy, I'm gonna move on, you know, because, again, we're talking about generational expectations, like, I think I'm pretty damn cool. And if my husband doesn't treat me well, I'm gonna demand that he treat me better, or I'm gonna go and find somebody better, because I expect better
1: out of life. (laughs) maybe I'm a spoiled brat, or maybe not. Well, yeah, it would have been much harder to get a divorce, which, again, like, she doesn't divorce Logan. She just, just like, leaves walks him. <laughs> yeah, she walks off. She just walks the away. The thing is, I, I feel like Logan sometimes gets a little bit of a bad rap because he is, like Nan, uh, Nanny, he is a person of his time, and so there are ways that he wants to demonstrate that he cares about Jody, Janie. Not Janie. But it just doesn't come off. Right. So, like, he gets her a mule so that her workload is lighter.
0: Speaking of mules,
1: there we go. <laughs> there's our third. There's
0: our third mule. Yeah. And she
1: looks at us like, you got me a mule. And Okay, so I remember watching a movie, and there's this point where um, the woman's love interest gives her a washing machine. And when I watched this when I was, like, 10 or 12 or whatever, I was like, that is the worst gift. He's just give her, like, you know, labor to do. And then I became an adult, and I realized how expensive those machines are, and what a pain in the ass it is when you don't have them. I'm like, that is so romantic, <laughs> hey, Carl machine. Speaking of expectation
0: changes, I yeah. knew that I was a housewife at one point when I watched a dish soap commercial and it was like, it smells like apples. And I went, damn, it smells like apples. I gotta get me some of that dish soap. And I was like, holy crap, I'm only 23. This is not okay. <laughs> like, What's wrong with apples? There's nothing wrong with it. Well, no, but like that was literally like the best part of my day was watching this commercial of like and thinking, oh my god, this is so exciting. I'm gonna go to the store and I'm gonna buy dish soap that's gonna smell like apples. And then like realizing that I do not want that to be the best part of my day that I'm now excited about dish soap So you should
1: soak your hands in it because it'll soften your hands do you remember those?
0: I do remember those (laughs) okay (laughs) moving on um okay just some other little notes Edenville, Florida was the nation's first incorporated black township so that stays true however it was established in 1887 night not in 1906 as depicted in the movie so there you go um, we already talked that Oprah was the executive producer of this adaptation. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I found this on the internet. Uh, Sharon L. Jones, an English professor at Wright State University, writes that the film bears no comparison, or sorry, yes, no comparison to the novel. I thought, did you read the same novel I did? But then she goes on. The novel emphasizes Janie's life journey of living with others who try to keep. Try to help to establish identity for her, therefore she struggles to find such an identity. However, Joan says the film leaves out many of these important concepts that help convey the central theme. She says it is believed that Harpo's production focused the movie on the general idea of love more to reach a broad range of audience since most of her viewers were white Females. I do think that it's unfair to say that it bears no comparison to the novel. No. And some of the metaphors that we talked about, like the dress. That, right. That makes it really clear. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> Let's see here. Oh, oh, okay. And this is really funny. Okay. So you can't trust IMDB. You cannot trust IMDB. This is why. This is how IMDB describes this movie. Okay. Sassy Jamie Starks looks unlike to get anywhere in pre-Great War Easton, Florida, but lands the best colored catch lively shopkeeper, Joe Starks, who even becomes town mayor. However, her refusal to oblige his expectations of decency turn love into bitterness. After his death, she prefers to enjoy freedom, quotes, again with cocky outsider tea cake as playmate and not just at chess. They even face the risks of seasonal labor. Oh my god. What the fuck? First of all, your grammar is bad. It's bad. And second of all, No! Like, I understand now. If, like, you went and you're like, oh, I've heard about this book. I've heard that there was a movie and you read this. You would not watch this movie. I would not watch this movie.
1: Nobody should watch that movie. That movie sounds like crap. It feels like they put the plot in a blender, like in a word blender, and got, okay, there's, like, these characters and that's all. Oh, my. So, uh, just a note on some of this. I I watched this on YouTube because... Me too. I'm a big cheapskate, and I wasn't going to pay for stuff.
0: You can't rent it. You can only watch it on YouTube
1: or buy the DVD for $8. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm not going to buy the DVD, even though it's it's a fine film. So, the thing about YouTube, as you should all know, (gasps) never read the comments. Oh, my God. I did not read the comments. Oh, God. Don't (laughs) read the comments. Don't read the comments. So, the second one on there is... Well, why can't black people make towns like they used to? Because look at how they did this. And I click on read more like an idiot because oh, gosh. I shouldn't. And the response is, it's because of the welfare state. Oh, my God. And I just crawled up a little bit. I was like, oh, I want to hit reply. Did a
0: little part of your soul fall off a shelf deep inside you? It
1: fell to the floor
0: and it broke. (laughs) Don't read the comments. Yeah. Even on IMDb, there was a comment um, that, yeah, a lady said, I'm a black woman. I've read their eyes are watching God many times. Most recently, when I learned that Oprah Winfrey and ABC were presenting this television movie, I was absolutely horrified of what I saw on Sunday. Halle Berry simply did, did not do justice to the character. Janie Crawford is a dignified, free-spirited, intelligent, strong character. The portrayal presented on ABC was insulting to the memory of Zora Neale Hurston in that Berry played Janie as a flighty, promiscuous, immodest tart who went off with whatever man appealed to her at any given moment – and to add insult to injury, Susan Laurie Parks neglected to adequately address a number of the important issues raised by Miss Hurston, specifically the issues of skin tone and class among black folks. How could Michael er, Yeah Michael Ely possibly play TK, who Miss Hurston wrote as a dark-skinned black man, not the perpetually sweaty, open-shirted, light-skinned, mumbling buffoon presented to us. I watched the movie with four other black people, two men and two women. No one had anything positive to say about the movie. I held on as long as I could, but after two hours, I had to agree with my fellow viewers the movie was a horrible shame on all involved wow may hurston haunt you and tell you no better wow and i'm just like okay so here's the thing i'm super white y'all and <coughs> oprah made a movie based on a book and like we talked about before that was for a wider wider white woman audience and i was like this is great and then all of these black ladies are like, this is trash. And I don't really feel like I can be like, no, it's not. Because that's not really my place. But at the same time, I feel like sometimes like some things are getting glossed over. Like we talked about, there are some really beautiful things that happen in the movie, even though it's disappointing and very problematic that other stuff was glossed over. So yeah, I, I feel a little awkward about saying that I liked it, but
1: I did. Well, again, it spoke to you at a certain time, and so there, there, you are allowed to have personal growth. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm not going to hold people responsible to stuff that they said 10 years ago when they've obviously changed. If yeah. they're still that person, then, yeah, what you said 10 years ago is still I well still that.
0: think that there's merit to the movie. I, I understand the kickback, and I think it is perfectly appropriate to say, look, this book dealt with racist stuff that you glossed over. This book dealt with some stuff that you completely left out. I think that's great. That is important, and we should do that. We should hold things to a high standard. Um but I do still think that there are some beautiful things in the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that there are certain aspects of the story that they translated wonderfully. Janie looking at the sky and watching God is so beautiful. In the book, the line, they were watching God. It's
1: one time. It's during one the, one sentence during
0: the, yeah. And they're watching the door. Um, they're watching, they're waiting out the storm and then says, you know, they were looking at the door, but their eyes were watching God. And you're like, okay, but, technically they're watching the door like they're not even outside do you know what i mean So that's not god they're listening to god um like and i could see that again like you said maybe an editor would have helped with that but like fine that's what she chose to say and like i'm not going to quibble because so much of her language is beautiful but i actually thought that the idea of watching god of watching nature of watching the sky of watching the movement of bigger forces than yourself came across in the movie in 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 a in a phenomenal way so
1: anyways there you have it. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, we disagree all the time. And this criticism is not unwarranted. It's not wrong. She has a point. And then there's still, you can still say, the movie isn't entirely trash. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, And so she still has a valid valid point of, yeah, the racism was glossed over. There are reasons for it. I'm hoping that those reasons aren't as prevalent, but the YouTube comments say that they are.
0: Yeah. It'd be nice if they made if they remade the movie. It's been 15 years. They could remake this movie for the larger audience, you know, make it a theatrical release instead of a television release. And, yeah. And
1: um, I would still be sad to see the language just doesn't, you know, it can't come across a visual medium. So you do yeah. have to reinvent a lot of the things. And, and the language is just gorgeous. I I love one of the opening lines is comparing love to the ocean, how Mm -hmm. it's big and still and changing and shaped by this. Which is
0: why we have voiceover narration, because the the language was, was so good that they wanted to put that in the movie. So the only way to really have that is by Janie saying, love is like the sea, it changes depending on the shore. And I just thought that's gorgeous.
1: Yeah. Okay, so final thoughts? Um, the book is definitely worth your time. I am not sad to have read it twice in my life. I wouldn't mind reading it again in the future just because there is a lot to absorb with the language, and there are lines that I want to kind of hold on to for a while. You know, I feel that way about poetry. You know, Poetry you're supposed to read slowly, and there are those lines that you have to sort of meditate on. Um, the movie is okay. It, it didn't, like bowl me over and i'm glad that you had that experience but you know i didn't watch it until just recently i was like yeah yeah it's a made for tv film it's got some good stuff in it it's just yeah so the movie for me was meh okay again i love
0: the book always i loved the book before i still love the book happy to reread it at any occasion um i guess i cut the movie a lot more slack Probably, Again, because of the time and place I was in when I watched it the first time, I think some of it's gorgeous. It, you know, like anything, your faves can be problematic. You can <laughs> wish that they were different or better, um, braver. But there's, I, I think that because it's, you can watch it on YouTube for free and there are some really pretty parts of it, I totally think it's worth watching.
1: So. The thing that sort of hurts me about this novel is that it wasn't discovered until Alice Walker. It was this hidden novel, and it makes me wonder how many other, like, hidden gems there are that just got lost. And we'll never know. That's so sad.
0: Okay, so today's episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast was brought to you by listeners like you and your Patreon support. So please click on over to patreon.com slash pagesandpopcornpodcast. Join us at the $1 level to get a schedule of upcoming episodes where you can find out in advance which books and movies we will be reading and discussing. Join us at the $5 level, and we promise to have some pretty cool perks for you coming up in the next couple months as well. Thank you so much for listening.